This Hard Feelings podcast series was originally produced for the Bell Shoals Women podcast that used to make its home here. We've left it up because it's one of our favorite series ever, and we've got quite a few listeners who are still working through it. The first official Her God Speaks podcast series preview will go live on January 21st, 2021. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and follow Her God Speaks on Instagram and Facebook so that you don't miss it. Much of our lives are lived in the messy, untamed middle between what we know to be true about God and what feels true amidst the pain and unsettling questions of hard seasons. Where is God? If He loves me, why this? Why now? Sometimes the soundtrack of our lives shifts into a minor key. We do our best to turn it off or drown it out, but you might be surprised to hear that God would have us turn it up as we turn to Him. In fact, He's even given us lyrics. This is the Bell Shoals Women's Podcast. I'm your host, April Swears, and I want to welcome you to our journey to find real hope for real life in the Psalms of Lament. We know it's been a hard year full of hard feelings. Let's take them to the throne of grace together as we dare to believe that our God is relentlessly faithful and immeasurably good even here, even now. After the death of his wife, C.S. Lewis described the seeming silence and absence of God with these heart-wrenching words. Meanwhile, where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms of grief. When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you are tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption. If you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so once, and that seeming was as strong as this. What can this mean? Why is he so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent a help in our time of trouble. End quote. Grief is as unique as the person feeling it, so Lewis's lament doesn't reflect everyone's experience of God in seasons of great affliction. Many believers testify of a deepening sense of God's presence in their loss, but that's not always the case, nor should it be the expectation. As we see in Psalm 22, David saw that same door slammed in his face, and even Christ himself lamented similar feelings of abandonment. As we've seen in all the laments we've studied in this series, the psalmist is determined to reason himself away from his extreme pain and all the doubt it brings 
toward confident trust and hope in God's deliverance. That's the trajectory of every prayer of lament. They aren't in our Bibles to merely help us vent our emotions. They're in our Bibles to fuel our faith regardless of our feelings. David accomplishes this movement toward trust by shifting back and forth from his present experience to his knowledge of God's past faithfulness. He starts with his present experience. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. The door has been slammed shut and the lock double bolted. He's standing outside with fists pounding on the door, begging God to offer some relief from his anguish. And let's go ahead and say it's raining and maybe add some freezing temperatures into the mix because the tone of this particular psalm is just that desperate. We'll add the wild dogs, roaring lions, and charging bulls into our metaphor a little bit later. Like I said before, this psalm moves back and forth from a description of present suffering to an acknowledgement of God's past faithfulness. So in verses 4 and 5, the psalmist remembers, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. These words represent not only a reminder to David, but a reminder to the Lord as well. I love what Charles Spurgeon says in his commentary on these verses. He writes, We may remind the Lord of his former loving kindnesses to his people and beseech him to be still the same. This is true wrestling in prayer. Let us learn the art. In other words, it's a good and necessary thing to go before the Lord and say, God, remember when you did that awesome thing on behalf of your people? Could you do it again? If the pattern is present suffering, past faithfulness, we should expect the next few verses to shift back to the psalmist's affliction. And they do. Verses 6 through 8 say, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. The metaphor of a worm in scripture signifies helplessness and worthlessness. The mocking he experiences is fierce. His enemies are making fun of the fact that he spent his whole life trusting in a God who has seemingly failed to come through when David needed him the most. Note that the false premise of the mockers is that God exists for our convenience and comfort. In light of the recent explosion of all manner of so-called Christian self-help resources, teaching us how to be a girl boss who lives her best life now, we would all do well to examine whether or not we operate under that false premise too. In verse 9, we see another yet, signaling a shift back to God's past faithfulness. David writes, Yet you are he who took me from the womb. 
You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you, I was cast from my birth and from my mother's womb, you have been my God. What he's acknowledging there is that he owes his whole life to God and that God has always been faithful to him. God had always provided for and sustained him even before he could recognize it or utter a word of praise. Most of us start our testimonies at the point of our conversion experience or the notable events leading up to it. But our stories of God's faithfulness to us start long before we were even born. The final shift in our present affliction, past faithfulness pattern takes place in verse 11 and continues all the way through verse 21. In those verses, he masterfully employs the power of metaphor to paint a vivid picture of the misery and desperation of his present affliction. This is where the raging bulls, roaring lions, and ravenous dogs come in view. They are surrounding him, and there is no escape, no help, and no hope. This section of the psalm, along with the opening verse, is what makes it really unique. It is here that David, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, prophetically describes the intense agony of Roman crucifixion long before it ever existed. In his gospel account of Christ's life and ministry, Matthew goes out of his way to note the parallels to Christ's experience. Let me give you a quick rundown. In verse 1, David prays, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27, 46 says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Psalm 22, 7, David writes, All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Matthew 27, 39 says, Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. Psalm 22, 8 records the mocker's words. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Matthew 27, 43 records the mocker saying to Jesus, He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Psalm 22, 16 says, They pierce my hands and feet which is a clear reference to crucifixion in which hands and feet were nailed to a cross. And finally, Psalm twenty-two, eighteen says, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing cast lots. Matthew twenty-seven, thirty-five says, And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. What this shows us is that Psalm 22 has a dual purpose— Like all the other Psalms of Lament, it gives us language to cry out to God in our own seasons of deep affliction. But we're coming up way short if we don't marvel at the prophetic messianic significance. While only verse 1 is recorded in the Gospels, most scholars believe that Jesus probably quoted this entire psalm while he hung on the cross. In fact, the very last line of Psalm 22 which in my translation reads, he has done it, is only one word in the Hebrew. And that word means finished. So it could read, it is finished. Does that ring a bell? It should. John 19.30 says, 
When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty blown away by all of these parallels. Just when I think I have a good grasp on how amazing the Bible is, I come across passages like this and realize I don't even know the half of it yet. After the lengthy back and forth between his present suffering and God's past faithfulness, the psalmist arrives at a place of settled trust in God's deliverance, starting in verse 19 and continuing through the rest of the psalm. There's a couple verses I want to point out as we bring this to a close. The first is verse 24, which says, For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Do you know what this means? It means that slammed door, bolted shut, was really just a figment of David's imagination. That's how it felt but that's not actually what happened. As it turns out, God was with him the whole time, watching over him, hearing his cries, sustaining him, and providing everything he needed. The wild dogs were on invisible leashes. The raging bulls and roaring lions were being held back by invisible hands. This is what I love about the laments in scripture. They meet us in our imagined abandonment and draw us out into the reality of God's never-ending love and care. They allow us to look at all our hard feelings and say, that's how I feel. That's how it looks right now. I'm in a really bad situation. I might even die. But God, but God is here with me. But God is sovereign over this. But God is my helper, my refuge, and my fortress. But God is good, and all his ways are good. But God is faithful, and I can trust him with this. There is grace for our imaginations, for all the slammed, bolted doors we've constructed in our minds. There is grace for those moments when the silence is deafening and we're starting to think God was never with us in the first place. He meets us there, friends, right in the middle of our deepest, darkest fears, both real and perceived. Just like you do when your child is convinced there's something terrifying hiding under their bed. You don't lecture them on their faulty logic and weak assumptions. You get on your hands and knees with a flashlight, declare the room to be free of scary monsters, and then you crawl into the bed and draw them close to your side until they fall asleep. To God, all of our fears must seem like monsters under the bed. But to us, they're so real and so terrifying. How sweet it is to know he doesn't despise or scorn our suffering. Oh, how I pray this series has opened your eyes to this glorious, life-changing reality. The last verse I want to point out is verse 26. It's my favorite part of this whole psalm, probably because it involves food and this girl loves to eat. The first line of verse 26 says, The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. 
Verse 28 makes reference to God's kingship. So I think it's safe to say that what's pictured here is a royal feast, complete with the best of everything and loaded with lots and lots of glorious carbs. Whatever comes to your mind when you recall the best meal of your life, this makes that look like a fast food value meal. Here's why this verse is important. Pain makes us feel so deprived. We feel like we don't have enough of anything. Empty, barren, hollow, spent, dried up, exhausted, depleted. That's the reality of life in hard seasons. Somebody listening needs to know that there's a feast coming. That weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. God mercifully ordains time to move forward, which means we are never stuck in our worst moment or hardest season. More than that, he promises not merely to set the table, but to be the feast. From the marrow and fatness of Psalm 63 to the bread of life of John 6 and the vineyard of John 10, the Bible is replete with food metaphors describing the all-satisfying presence of God. The pain he allows increases our capacity to enjoy the pleasure he supplies. And while heaven is the place of ultimate and eternal feasting on God, Don't think for a second we have to wait until then. He can set a table anywhere and he will be the feast in every circumstance and every season, even this one. We wholeheartedly believe that God's truth is intended to be sought and savored in community. Our hope is that you'll share this podcast with a friend or two, get together for coffee, and have some intentional conversations about these psalms. In this next segment, Amy Cannon and I do just that. There's plenty of coffee and conversation to go around, so pull up a chair and join us. Well, Amy, before we chat specifically about Psalm 22, I would love for you to talk to us about the announcement you made on Facebook and Instagram last week. Y'all, I am so, I was excited to kind of get back on and say, hey, and just to let everybody know that our small group Bible studies are going to begin back in January. I have gathering together more than I can express, and I am really looking forward to digging back into God's word face-to-face. April, you are actually going to be teaching one of those classes. And because I have the insider sneak peek, I know it is going to be nothing short of fabulous. So for all of our listeners, both in this Tampa Bay area and beyond, if you do not follow us on social media, you need to make sure you do so, so that you can be kept in the know with all we have going on in January, the details about the classes, times, and all that kind of stuff, because they're going to be coming to you that way. So you can find us on Facebook at uh, Women's Ministry at Bell Shoals Baptist Church or on Instagram at BSBC Women's Ministry. Yeah, I'm so pumped. 
about that January study. And we're kind of keeping it under wraps. We haven't really gone public with all the yep. details yet. Uh, we shared a little bit with our leaders, um, but I I am in the process of studying and writing and I am so excited. So really looking forward to be back, being back in person. Um, and I know our precept studies will be getting back in person as well. And so just lots of exciting things uh, to come. So you guys just hold on. We're, we're going to get back. We're going to get back in action. There is another exciting thing happening in January, and it's related to this podcast. Uh, it is going to be getting a new name and a whole new look, and I will be taking the reins on that. So it will technically no longer be affiliated with Bell Shoals Baptist Church. I say technically because I can't do anything without the support and accountability of this amazing faith family. So this is not a parting of ways by any means. It's more of a divide and conquer. Uh, we believe this change will enable us to reach more women with the truth of God's word. And that's what we're all about. So if you are subscribed to this podcast, you don't need to do anything. Just know that in the next month or so, it's going to look different. It's going to have a different name, but it's going to show up in your podcast library as, as, as it always does. If you are not subscribed to the podcast and you want to make sure you don't miss the launch of the new podcast, go ahead, click that subscribe button because pretty soon you won't be able to search for this podcast using the name Bell Shoals Women because the name is going to change. The next series will be January, February. So, so keep a heads up for that. Yeah, April, we are, as a women's ministry team, so excited for this. Like you said, dividing and conquering is so exciting. And we know that God is going to continue to use you to passionately teach women the word of God. And, you know, honestly, we're equally as excited about the future of Bell Shoals and its podcast resources. We have some things currently under construction um, with a, a different array of podcasts for you to listen to. Everything from parenting your child and teen, topical women's issues, marriage, finances, you know, the list is kind of big. But we'll also have podcasts that are going to feature teaching lessons from you and many of our other campus teachers. So it is so exciting to see all that God is doing as we partner together in reaching our world for Christ. Yeah, it really is exciting. I just love it. I love this podcast platform and the potential for us to, uh, to again, to reach women with the truth of God's word. Yes, uh, We want to get in those ear earbuds. We want to get in those earbuds with the truth of the gospel. And so it, it is, it really is exciting what the Lord is doing and expanding all, all of these things. Uh, well, now that our business is out of the way, uh, let's talk for a little bit about Psalm 22. And I would love to know what what stood out to you, what resonated with you the most from this psalm? For me, I think it's probably the bouncing back and forth from David's present and very real suffering to God's steady hand of faithfulness, not only from his like past circumstances, but honestly to the very character of God. Um, I'm not sure about you, but this so often mimics my own prayer life. I can see myself beginning by telling the Lord, man, Lord, I need you so much here. And I'm having such a hard time with this. And in this situation, you know, I really need you to show up only 
the next second to be reminded of how he has been so faithful to me in the past mm-hmm. and, and pausing to like, Lord, thank you for this answered prayer that I might've forgotten to say thank you for, and, you know, thank you for your goodness. And then yet I find myself back into that thing with, oh, but God, this is so hard and blah, 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 blah. You know, um, I think my prayer life sounds like the audio commentary for a tennis match sometimes <laughs> where it's very much like this Psalms 22 to me. Um, so that's what resonated with me. Cause I'm like, David, I got you. Like I get this. Yeah. That's the exact same thing that, that stood out to me as well. I, I tend to think of like, when I think, what does it look like to trust God? I tend to think it is being fully confident in God, focused on God in, in like a steady state. Like you finally arrive at a place where you are just like totally 100% sure. Yeah. God's got this and and you don't have any anxiety and you don't have any worries and, and, and you just like arrive and you stay there for a really long time. Like that's what it looks like to trust God. And what I'm realizing is that is not true. The, the picture the Bible paints of trusting God, whether you're looking at a character study, whether you're looking at these Psalms of lament, whether you're looking at the more, um, I guess, prescriptive passages in the New Testament, what you see is it is this volleying back and forth. It's, it's not this uphill study climb. It's more of a, uh, you're, you're taking lots of of, of, of hills and then valleys and then a hill and then a valley. And so trusting God is when you feel the anxiety come in and when you're overwhelmed with a sense of affliction and when your eyes are focused on all of the enemies surrounding you, that you choose to stop and go to the Lord with that. And five minutes later, when it all comes flooding back, you choose to stop and go to the Lord with that. And then maybe you go 10 minutes the next time. (laughs) Maybe you go two days, maybe you go a week, but it's, it's, it's more of a dance, you know, it's a back and forth. It's a, um, it's a moment by moment, just choosing to not rely on the feelings, but, but fix our eyes on the truth of, of who God is. And so the people that have the greatest faith, I think are the ones that, it's not that they're in a steady state of constantly being confident in God. It's that they're quick to turn to him when they begin uh-huh. to lose confidence in God. And yeah, that's just really encouraging. Uh, and we need to get those. It's important. We define those terms. Like what is it, what does it mean to trust in God? And right. I do, I think, I think these Psalms, particularly Psalm 22 has helped shed some light on, on what that means and helped us flesh it out um, in a uh-huh. really cool way. Uh, well, it's kind of sad that this is our last Psalm of Lament that we're walking through. It's always bittersweet in these studies. They're a lot of work. So it's kind of like, okay, I'm kind of ready <laughs> for a little break. Uh, but it's, it's been so rich and so good. And so it's, it is sad as well to, to get to the last yeah. one. But I thought since yeah. it was our last one, uh, I'd love to reflect on the series as a whole for a little bit. Um, and I'd love to know of all the Psalms we've covered, which one is your favorite? And of course, you have to tell me why it's your favorite. And, and then I'll tell you which one is my favorite. Okay. So I did know you were going to ask me this question. And I have been <laughs> wrestling with it because there are so many aspects of mm. all of the Psalms 
that we have, you have been teaching about, and then we've been breaking down that really resonate for my favorites. But I think I, I kind of came down into maybe Psalm 10. And that was the Psalm where David was kind of wrestling with, you know, where is God? The bad guys seem like they're winning, right? And all hope mm-hmm. seems lost. And that resonates with me because for right now, yeah. in this culture that we are finding ourselves <laughs> living in, honestly, sometimes when I watch the news, I feel like the bad guy's winning. Mm-hmm. There's so much unrest, divisiveness, and injustice all around us that I can get feeling kind of like, like a doomed feeling like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, you know, everything's lost. And then I'm reminded, especially as we've been reading through all of these Psalms, that the enemy would want me to feel that way. He would want me to feel all hope is lost. You're going to stay in your turmoil, your season of pain, whatever it may be that we've been researching. Um, This is where the enemy wants us to be. He wants us to believe that he holds all the cards Mm. so that we temporarily lose sight of the one who holds the whole world in his hands, right? right? Right. Our broken world has a heart issue and Jesus is the remedy. And I love mm. how Psalm 10 gives us a plan for how we can ask the Lord, right? To have a heart like mm-hmm. his, um, for all that's happening around us and grieve and weep those things, but then eyes to see it um, as he does, mm-hmm. and then to ask him with confidence, right, boldly, mm-hmm. that he would act on behalf of all of those who've been wronged and bring about a true justice mm-hmm. that only he can provide. So Psalm 10 to me kind of gave me the, you know, here's what we do, yeah. you know, this is how we break it down. And so I think for right now. And like I said, in just the world circumstances, this is the one that sticks out the most. Right. But I love them all so much. (laughs) So I'm going to throw it back to you because now I want to know which was your favorite Psalm and why. All right. So I agree with you. It is very hard to choose one. Uh, Psalm 10 is definitely, definitely up there. Mine though is Psalm 77. And uh, I think the reason I love it so much is of all the Psalms, I think it presents us with, oh, and just, just because you guys probably are, I, I have like, I don't know, drenched myself in these Psalms. So (laughs) you guys listen to one episode. So you're like, what one is that? Okay. So it's the one where we talked a lot about doubt that week because the Psalmist asked these questions and I've got it opened here. Um, he asked things like, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never be favorable again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Uh, has God forgotten to be gracious? So he asked these questions that are really exposing the fact that he's doubting all. And these are all things God has said he is or said he was going to do. And the psalmist is looking around at his life and living in that tension of, okay, I know God is supposed to be this kind of God, but look at my life. Where is the evidence of that? 
I don't mm. see any right now. And, and so he's living in the tension of that. And of course, that creates a great amount of doubt in his heart. And I don't think there's a person listening that hasn't been there that doesn't understand all of those hard feelings that that come up when you're living in that dissonance between what you know, who you know God to be and what your actual life is, is looking like at the moment. Uh, but it's, it's the most intentional turning point, I think, of all of the Psalms. Um, because it's just, it's all of these questions, this expression of doubt. And then he says, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. I shall remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on your work and muse on your deeds. So there's all of these action verbs, these action words that just remind me that you got to fight your way out of doubt. You got to fight your way out of these hard feelings. You have to fight your way out of these, um, these pits of despair. Um, you know, God is there and he is pulling us out, but there, there is effort, especially, especially when we're in seasons of doubt and depression and despair. And, and when hopelessness starts to invade, uh, we, like we, we have to remember and muse and meditate and ponder. And sometimes we got to pick up the phone and like make an appointment with a counselor or we got to get help. Uh, th- there are, there are action steps. There are things that we, we need to do. Um, and mm. so that's what I love about Psalm 77. It just clearly lays out the reality of our feelings and how we begin the process of climbing out of that. And then he has this beautiful reflection on the Exodus story. Um, and I'm a Bible teacher. So I like love that he's, he's sitting there reflecting on an actual text of the Bible. And it is, it is helping draw him out of his pain and his misery. Right. And we can do the mm. exact same thing. In fact, we actually have more to draw on as New Testament believers than the psalmist did. And so um, I just love that. I love that psalm. But yeah, I agree with you. I love them all. It's like people ask me, what's your favorite Bible study you've ever done? Well, all of them. The one I'm currently working on is usually the answer. That's my favorite one. Um, so anyway, well, similar question, but, but a little bit different. Uh, so again, looking back at the whole series, all the weeks that we've been in these Psalms of Lament, what's your biggest takeaway, like from, from the whole series, not necessarily from a specific Psalm, although it could be just like in general, what would be like your biggest, your biggest takeaway? This was another super hard one pondering questions. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so, so much that I could, could say, because like when we first started, I had shared with everybody that I've always like loved the Psalms, like just loved them. But when you approached me about studying the Psalms of lament, that was like a new phrase for me. Like that was Mm -hmm. new. I had not really understood Psalms of lament. What is that? And so now that we have taken some time to go through that, I think my biggest takeaway is God's compassion and his tenderness to our lamenting. You know, I, I'm reminded that he, and I think you mentioned it too, and, and one of the teaching segments that he's not turned off mm. or aggravated with me. Rather, he is a comforting father who's going to mm-hmm. pull me into his lap so that he can listen to my woes and then remind me of his goodness towards me, just like we do with our kids. When, when my kids approach me or my husband 
or a great friend approach me with a pain, I'm never like, oh, that's so dumb. Go away. Or, I don't want to hear it or what. I listen in mm-hmm. and how much more loving is, is God, you know, and loving towards us that he, he bends close, I think, you know, to listen. So I think the Psalms of lament have become like a prayer guide mm. a little bit um, for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it could be for all of us. They've, they've really shown me how to honestly cry out before the Lord while simultaneously acknowledging that he's the God who sees and acts mm. on my behalf for his glory. Always, mm. always. Amen. That's good. How about you? Well, um, <laughs> this was a very hard, cause like you, I've, I've learned a lot, um, from these. I'd never studied these specifically, these types of Psalms before. I think for me, um, the, the reminder, I think the Psalms combined with the stories, which have mm. been so incredible and just so hard, so mm. hard things people are walking through. And so I think just the reminder that this world is not our home. There is so much pain mm. here. Things are so broken and things happen that we cannot explain. We cannot understand. There's no cause and effect relationship. It's just, we live in a broken, fallen world. And so I think these Psalms just cultivating in my own heart, a longing for that day when all things will be made new. And the fact that you know, if you look at the the whole, the Psalms as a whole, this, the book of Psalm as a whole, it's arranged very intentionally. And it ends with this just like beautiful expression of praise. It's just all praise, praise, praise. And I, mm-hmm. I think you have this, this book of the Bible that's so full of very, very sad prayers and very honest prayers, prayers that don't shy away from the harsh realities of life, but it ends no matter how many, how much of this songbook is played in a minor key. It doesn't end that way. It ends on a major key. It ends on a high note. It ends with praise and exaltation of this God who does mm-hmm. reign and one day will reign in a new heaven and a new earth. All things will be made new and every tear will be wiped from our eyes. And, and it just no mm-hmm. more crying, no more tears, no, no more pain, no prayers of lament in heaven. Like these are earth bound prayers. And I have been so blessed by thinking about that. I have, because I've been producing the podcast, I've listened to every single one of the stories, probably at least five times each. And every time I cry and every time I rejoice that every sad thing will be made untrue and every, everything um, everything that grieves us this side of heaven will be made right for all eternity. And just the hope that we have in Christ for the future, not just 10 years from now or 20 years from now, we're talking like billions of years from now, 
we will be enjoying mm-hmm. a life free from the curse of sin and the fall and mm-hmm. fully redeemed in Christ. And I feel mm-hmm. like um, these Psalms, that's what they've done for me is just given me, um, I guess, uh, untethered me a little bit more to this, this earth and um, given me greater, uh, just a greater longing for what he has for us uh, in heaven. Well, a few months back when we were planning this series and praying through the stories, we didn't have one to pair with Psalm 22. I was sharing this with Rebecca Spangler, whose story you heard on week two, and immediately the Lord brought her friend Christina to her mind. Christina has experienced a depth of loss that most of us could never even begin to imagine. And we are deeply thankful for her willingness to write and share her story with us. What you are about to hear is a beautiful reminder that God really does draw near to the brokenhearted, that he really does save those who are crushed in spirit. Grab a tissue because you're going to cry. But more than anything, you are going to marvel at the all-sufficient, sustaining grace of our Savior. Here's Christina with her story. In 2011, our lives were changed when our precious daughter, Layla, was stillborn. She had neural tube defects that hindered her ability to live outside of the womb, which we found out about when I was around 13 weeks pregnant. Our joy over having this precious baby we'd prayed for was overshadowed by the fact that we'd be saying goodbye to her much sooner than we wanted. I was blessed to carry her until I was 32 and a half weeks pregnant. Her death devastated us. We were in a fog for a long, long time, trying to process this news. We didn't understand how God could allow this pain when we wanted so badly to be parents. Yet, God carried us through it and taught my husband and me more dependence on him. He didn't give us the answer we wanted, which was to heal her earth side and keep her with us, but he gave us what we needed, which was more of himself. He helped us find a Christian support group so we could spend time with other families going through similar experiences. He showed us his love through his people, our family and friends that were prayed for us and were just there for us. He gave us joy along with the sorrow. We have walked this strange tightrope of joy and grief along with the pain of two additional miscarriages and the gift of three healthy, beautiful children ever since. We've been privileged to help other families who have lost little ones as well, and this has really helped us honor Layla's memory. So fast forward to this year. On July 10th, 2020, our son Ford was stillborn at a little over 19 weeks. No explanation, no diagnosis like we had with Layla. He was just gone. I had been so nervous to purchase anything for him, but just a few days before he passed, I had bought this cute little wooden garden stake that said, Baby Peterson, due December 2020. It arrived in the mail the day that we found out that he had died. Our kids were so excited to have another baby join our family, and it was heartbreaking to have to tell them that their little brother wouldn't be coming home from the hospital with us. 
we are in a place of complete brokenness. I never, ever thought we'd have to go through this kind of pain again. I have cried out to God more times than I can count, asking why again, Lord, why another one of my children? Four losses. Why so many? While my head knows it isn't my fault, my heart wonders what I have done for God to allow so much pain and loss in my life. Anger, sorrow, depression, all of these swirl around in my mind and in my heart. Each day right now, it takes every ounce of strength I have to keep it together for my children and just do the day-to-day stuff without completely breaking down. I know and believe that God doesn't allow needless suffering, but honestly, right now, this feels really meaningless. What was the point of becoming pregnant again just to lose another baby? I feel so angry at times, and sometimes the depth of my emotion threatens to undo me. It's not always easy to turn to a God who has allowed so much loss, but I know that there's no way I can bear this alone, so I'm choosing to fall on the one who can bear me up through this. So as I'm grasping to stay afloat amidst the crushing waves of grief, I'm holding on for dear life to a Savior who understands sorrow and suffering, a Savior who has experienced unimaginable loss, and a Savior who draws near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A verse that has helped me is Psalm twenty-two, twenty-four, which says, For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. He listens to my cries for help. His Holy Spirit prays for me. His presence sustains me. These are the truths that I am clinging to right now as I walk through this valley that feels very much like a nightmare. These truths are the anchor reaching all the way down to the bottom of my grief and holding me fast to the solid rock of God's faithfulness. They're why I'm still here, crying out to a God I can't see and who at times feels very far away. But the truth is that he's not far away. He's right here with a steady supply of all-sufficient grace to comfort and to heal. If you are in the midst of deep grief, know that Jesus weeps with you. He isn't waiting for you to suck it up and move on. He is sitting with you, holding you, carrying you, and he can handle any and every emotion we throw at him. So even at your lowest point, when why, how long, help are the only words that you can manage through the weeping, cling to him. Even if you're screaming at him, just cling. And when you feel like you can't cry out anymore or cling to him anymore, know that he is clinging to you. Know that this isn't the end of your story. Know that on the other side of all this pain are promises fulfilled Know that one day the sun will rise over this darkness with healing in its wings. God has done the work of redemption for us through Jesus, and one day he will wipe every tear from our eyes.